God, we love you, and you are so good. This morning, we want to hear from you, Lord Jesus. Empty our souls of what doesn't need to be there, and let us have that posture of accepting whatever you want to be there, God. Give us ears to hear this morning. Give us eyes to see as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me paint a picture for you. You're out at a restaurant. Let's pretend it's Applebee's. Who here has been to Applebee's? Come on. It's every college kid's dream. Two for 20. Let me paint a picture for you. The server comes. You're sitting down with a group of people. The server comes and gives you a menu. And they say, hey, we'll be back in a moment. So you glance at the menu and you continue chatting in your conversation. And the server comes back and asks you, hey, what do you want to drink? This is where your first decision comes in. Do you want to go healthy? Right? You probably should get the water. But you know you like soda. Especially if your name is Will. So you think, ah, you know what? Today I'll be healthy. I'm going to get the soda. Okay, they come. They say the line. What will you be having? I'll have the water. Great. And they say that next line that we all know that stresses us all out. I'll be back in a moment to take your order. This is the moment where panic sets in. Conversation continues. You laugh. You engage. All the while, you're just looking at that menu. Chicken fingers or burger? Chicken fingers or burger? And you begin to ask the table around you, what are you getting? And what are you getting? Or what are you getting? And then you decide, I'm getting the burger. I, I, I've decided I'm going to get the burger. And you're thinking, okay, when she comes and she asks, I'm going to say, burger, please, well done, or whatever it is. Don't get a burger well done. But you're thinking, I'm just going to get a burger. I'm going to get a burger. You decide I'm getting the burger. So you choose to go last. The server goes all around the entire table. It comes to you, but it's okay. We've practiced. I'm getting the burger. Here we go. What will you be having? I'll have the quesadilla. Dang it! I hate quesadillas. But for some reason, you say that. This is a picture of bad decision-making. Who here relates with bad decision-making? So let me tell you this. This is not a fake story. Just go to youth group and then go to Applebee's with them. <laughs> this is a daily occurrence if you go to youth group or Applebee's with the youth group. Just the other day, I was with Dylan Illy, our bass player, and he was sitting across from me at Applebee's, and it was a bunch of us, and me... Dylan and Luke Blatt, we were trying to decide what we were going to get to eat, and they had a whole conversation in between them. Dylan will get the boneless wings, or he'll get the triple chocolate, no, boneless wings. Luke will get the triple chocolate meltdown, and then when they got it, Luke instantly goes, dang it, I ordered the wrong thing. I should have got the boneless wings. Decisions are hard, especially deciding what to eat. And for some of us, that choice is really hard. For others, it's clear. But now, for a moment, forget all about eating at a restaurant, which already seems impossible in making decisions. Add in the bigger decision, the major decisions, the ones that keep you up at night. How do I know which job to take? How do I, how do I know if I should take that promotion? Do we want to move? Do we want to stay where we've been for a while? Even bigger than that, do I want to marry this person? Even bigger than that, do I want to leave this person? We live in a world of major decisions, and all of them can feel life-changing. Some of them really are life-changing. All the decision-making can make you just feel overwhelmed, can it? I mean, let's go back to that Applebee's scenario. At the end of the day, that decision of chicken or burger isn't really a major decision. Yet at that moment, I've watched it, teenagers, that's all they can focus on. But those same teenagers, those same students are, that are what, 15, 16, 17, maybe 18? This is around the same time they have to ask or they have to answer a major decision. Do you know what it is? What do I do after high school? I mean, think about it. Anytime a student begins to round the corner of their junior year, 
They get asked that question, what are you going to do with school? What is your major going to be? What school will you go to? How much debt do you think you're willing to get in? you got to make good choices. Think about it. This could affect, the debt you have from college could affect the housing market when you're out. Is the career you chose and the major you chose going to have enough jobs to sustain the debt you're going to get? Where are you going to live? How are you going to provide? What's the plan? What's the goal? Actually now, if we're being honest, that conversation starts even younger because life is getting competitive, isn't it? So yes, you may be in peewee soccer, but it isn't a game. You have to be good so you can make the high school team because if you make the high school team, you'll get a scholarship. And if you get a scholarship, you'll go to the good school. And if you go to the good school, you have a good career. All the while, that kid's just rattling around, I don't know if I want to have the chicken burger, but dang it, I have a quesadilla. It's no wonder anxiety is literally at an all-time high in America beating depression now. There are so many major decisions that affect everything. And you understand this tension as adults, don't you? Because every day we have to wake up and make more choices and more decisions. And then we have kids, we're making more choices and more decisions for them. And it can feel like in this moment, in this major decision, everything is riding on this. And when you finally made the choice and you finally got through that decision, guess what? There's a new decision and guess what? Everything is riding on it. Even now... As I bring up all these different decisions, you can just feel the anxiety in the room begin to lift. Because you can all suffer from this weight of choices. And decisions have to be made. And some of them can feel earth-shattering. And we know, we know it just doesn't end after high school. But we live a lifetime, a messy life of decision-making. Major decisions. You guys stressed out? I'm a little stressed out. I'm stressing myself out. Let's see if I can end that. Life is full of decisions. How do we know if we made the right one? And then comes the big question that always follows that, especially in youth group settings. If there's a decision to be made, it's always, well, what's the right decision? What's the right choice? But the bigger question that's seemingly always underneath that one is how do I know what God is calling me to do? It's a great question. It's an important question. Maybe it is the question. Can we know? So many of us have asked the question time after time, and usually we get the same answer, don't we? We just got it last week. When you're making a decision, read your Bible and pray. And I agree with that statement wholeheartedly, but I would be lying to you if I didn't admit that in my life I felt like that answer didn't always give me the comfort I needed. I'm going through a major decision. Well, read your Bible and pray. That's not helping. Because let's be honest, when I open my Bible up and I turn to a random page, it doesn't say, Will, get the burger. It didn't say, Will, go to Tacoa Falls College and not Rowan. Believe it or not, it didn't even say, Will, become a pastor. You won't find that Bible verse in there. Before that last question, I found the Bible extremely helpful in making that decision. Actually, I find it helpful in many of my decisions. Pastor Jimmy said last week, he read from Psalm 119, Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And then Pastor Jimmy talked about how we need the light to reveal a path ahead of us. And that's what scripture does. The Bible, scripture is telling us that it will guide our steps. It will guide our path. It will help direct us in the way we should go and should be going. But how does it do that? Can I flip to any random page and it helps me with my situation right now, get out of here, you baldy. That doesn't apply to me right now. Hopefully it won't in a few years, Lord. 
The Bible, it does apply to our lives, but how? How do we make decisions? But that's how we do it sometimes. Sometimes, and come on, we'll be honest, we just open up to some random page and hope that the Bible will make our decision. That I could go outside, and some of you, if you've done this, don't admit it. You go outside, you let the wind just turn the pages, and that will give you the answer to inform your decision. But that isn't how it works, is it? We have to understand first what Scripture actually is and what Scripture is actually used for. See, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, this young pastor of Ephesus, reminds him at the end of one of his letters to hold fast and hold on tightly to what has been taught to him. And I love where Paul takes it, where Paul points him to. Check this out. It says, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Check this out. All Scripture, turn to your neighbor and say, all Scripture. Turn to your other neighbor and say it again is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, in a world of doubt, in a world of confusion and chaos, remember the things you were taught from Scripture, that all Scripture is inspired by God. So when things get tough, remember this book is God-breathed. When things get tough, don't forget what you've been taught. Don't forget what you've been taught since your childhood about the scriptures. Because it will lead you to Jesus. But then he goes on to say that this book the are the very words of God. And these words are useful to teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong. To correct us and teach us what is right. And that somehow God uses these words... To prepare us to do every good work. Basically, this book somehow will teach us to make good decisions. So when we look at God's word, it's meant to be a guide in our life. Guide our decision making. And I believe if we really go after learning what scripture is, and when it has to say holistically, it will lead us to the right choices in our lives, especially in the midst of major decisions. For example, when Joshua, Old Testament, Old Testament, right, close to the beginning, when this man named Joshua was about to take over after Moses. Can you imagine that job description? You got to live up to Moses? And lead the Israelites through the desert into the promised land? That's no small task. And he's leading millions of people through a desert where there are a lot of other people, groups, that don't want anything to do with the Hebrews. How is Joshua going to do this? There's going to be decision after decision after decision after decision when you're leading millions of people through a desert that no one wants them in to a promised land they haven't seen yet. God makes a promise to Joshua. He's going to lead them. And like he was with Moses, he was going to be with him. But look at the command that God gives Joshua. I always love this one. Verse 6 of chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. 
Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you notice the command in there? Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. You should be thinking about this when you're eating breakfast and when you're putting your head on the pillow at night. And that was just the first few books of the Bible. They didn't have the rest of it yet. Look how much more we have. God's command to Joshua was to keep this book on his mind all the time, day and night, and then to obey everything in it. Don't go too far to the left. Don't go too far to the right. Just stay on the path. Just stay in my word, and you will prosper and succeed in everything you do. At this moment, yes, he's only talking to Joshua. He's giving this advice and this command to Joshua. But what's beautiful when I said you have to look at Scripture holistically, cover to cover, all the context. He, does, he doesn't just give this to Joshua. Right? Pastor Jimmy read from Psalm 1 last week that echoed this verse, meditate on my word day and night. And this is the same charge that Paul gave Timothy. Remember, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. This is the very truth that we are anchoring this entire series on. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things that you're worried about will be added to you. But I think that's what happens in our world today. We've mixed up the definition of what success is. We have flipped what is a major decision and what is a minor decision, and we've made the minors the majors and the majors the minors. Try saying that ten times fast. But seek first his kingdom. And then success will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. And then all of this, all that worry, that all the things you're anxious about in the middle of the night will be added to you. The reason I believe that that point is stressed throughout the pages of scripture to meditate on his word, to hold on to it, and to know his origin is because when we look at scripture, it reveals who God is. These words by God, about God, show us God. And when we know who God is, we'll know his wants. When we know who God is, we'll know his desires. We'll know his ways. We'll know his will. And then we'll know what to imitate. We'll know what to follow. So often, whether in youth ministry or just living life, people say this phrase when making a decision. I'm just looking for a sign. I'm waiting for God to show me a sign. I'm guilty of it too. Where I'm looking out, I'm like, okay. When will that leaf fall on that blade of grass so I know I don't have to go to work today? It never happens. I like my job. I'm just joking. I love you. <laughs> we all have done it. I'm looking for a sign. I'm waiting for God to show me a sign where we pray about something and then we look at every road sign, every falling leaf as a sign if this is what I'm supposed to do or not. That somehow forgetting to plug in the coffee pot was the sign you needed to go back to school or that you should break up with that boyfriend or girlfriend. Or today I walked into class and they were wearing red and so was I, so we're soulmates. I turned on the radio and that song playing was a Taylor Swift song. So mom, that means you have to get me tickets to the concert. We base all of our decisions, not all of them, but a lot of them based on signs. We even base our decisions on something worse our feelings. If I feel good about it, it must be good for me. If I have peace about it, then it must be God saying yes. Or if this brings me anxiety, 
then it's a clear no from God. My favorite is, well, God didn't open that door for me, so I'll have to wait for the next one to open. And maybe he'll open a window. This can't be how we make decisions. If decisions were based on feelings, I'll admit to you right now, I would not be one of your pastors. The truth is, I hate public speaking. I can't stand it. I, it's not something I would have jumped at the opportunity for in school. Anytime there was a school assignment and they made you speak in front of the class, I'd be in the very last row thinking, not me! From this feeling, should I never public speak again? That'd be dangerous for today as I'm on stage talking in front of a bunch of people. Paul, Jesus, God, they all continue to point back to meditating on Scripture, going back to his word day and night, for it will provide the framework we need when it comes to making a decision. We are so busy, sometimes looking for a sign, hoping for that sign that we miss that the answer is right in front of us. But rather than looking for the sign, rather than basing it on our own feeling, what if we actually went to what God gave us? What's in front of us? His word. We're so busy looking for the breeze in the trees. Like, God, will you give me an answer? And he's like, yeah, I gave you a whole 66-letter book about it. Now again, you're not going to see a Bible verse that says, this college over this college. I never saw a Bible verse that said, this career over this career, or this choice over this choice. But what I did see and continue to see is who God is. And when I see who God is, and I see his will and his desire and his focus, I'm able to make clearer decisions when it comes to my own life. So when we look at scripture and we look at his word and truly look at, it, look at it to guide us, we'll be surprised how it will continue to help us make choices because it shows us the heart of God. From relationships to money, from sex to days off, the Bible will give us a framework we need for all of our choices. We merely need to meditate on it. We need to devour this book, not trying to figure out all the answers of my life, not all the answers to my decisions, but rather, if you tear apart this book to get to know the author who has all the answers, then you will, the path will be made clear. It will shine a light on that dark path. Right? The Bible describes itself as a double-edged sword. It describes itself as living and active meaning that it's applicable to you today even though it was written thousands of years ago. Too often, if we were being honest, I think all of us, even, even myself, sometimes we made scripture or our faith the minor in our decision-making. And we've made the choice whether what college or what job or what, what town, the major. But the more I read it, the more I discover his will. And the more I discover his will, the more I discover his love. And the more I discover his love, the more confidence I have to stand on. It shows us the path to freedom and it allows his Holy Spirit to lead the way. So we need to go to this book for everything. To not merely lean on the verse of the day, but to study the passages, the context, the stories, and the teaching. To learn the commands and then obey them together. This is why life groups are so crucial, that we are studying the book together, that we are soaping the book together. And please hear me clearly. I'm not saying God doesn't speak in visions. I'm not saying God doesn't speak in dreams. But it will always be confirmed in his word. Amen? But Will, I just don't understand. 
if there isn't a Bible verse on what college, how is it supposed to help me? What verse is going to help me decide to take this job or that job, where to live, and how much money I should be making? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. Again, it gives us a framework. And I'll give it to you quick and simple. Ready for it? And whatever decision we make, are we modeling, conducting ourselves, and making choices that draw us closer to God and loving people more? When you're making that decision, do you love God and love people more based on the outcome of that decision? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. The reality is, you and I are able to do whatever we want. That's just truth. We all have a free will. You can make any decision that you want. No one can really stop you. But when we realize that not every decision is beneficial, then we, have to under, then we can understand that maybe this is not the decision for me. We then have to understand, just because we can, and just because everyone else is, doesn't mean we should. If the entire culture is going this way, but God says go that way, and scripture helps you realize that, guess which way you should go? This is the beneficial way. Just because we can, and just because everybody else around us is, doesn't mean we should. So like redefining what success is, we have to redefine what's beneficial through this. We make our decisions based on what God finds beneficial, not what we find beneficial. Because if we based my life, if I based my life on what I thought was beneficial for me, I would be having soda for breakfast every day. When I was in college, I tried that. Ever heard of freshman 15? Try freshman 30. I really like soda. So let's make this practical. Which college do I go to? No verse, there's no Bible verse for it. But here's what is in there. The Bible talks about loving God and loving others. If I go to that college, how will my faith be impacted? If it's a party school that I know is going to be too tempting for me, that I wouldn't be able to withstand it, then maybe the college isn't for you. But what about the, it's, it's prestigious and it has my major and they have good connections. But if you're going to party your way through it, it's not for you. How about, maybe the college isn't for you because you can't afford it. That's not a bad thing. There's options for a reason. Are you going to acquire a debt that you can never pay back? The Bible talks about debt and how to handle our money. Did you know that? So yeah, it might not say, go to this college. But if we say, hey, this is how you make financial decisions. This is how you stay away from temptation. Is it going to challenge my faith and help me to trust God more as I find communities out there and help me learn what I need to do for my career that's going to help me love others and help me provide for my family? Then yeah, go to that college. But look at how you make the decision. Base it off your faith first and the motives behind that rather than just how much money I will make. But let's camp here for a second. And if you get mad at me, you can email jimmy at crossbridgecc.org. <laughs> Let's stay here for a minute. I, I get a lot of questions in youth ministry. And I get the same question every year. I've been doing youth ministry for 13 years. 
And actually, in my last youth ministry place, they didn't go to college, so it doesn't apply. Um, just in this past seven or eight, it's always come up from either a student or a parent. But over the years, every year, a senior will come up to me and explain how fearful they are to go off to college because they know they will give up their faith once they get there. Not that they might. Some people were like a little worried, like, oh, what are we going to do? I need communities. And then Joe Fry will plan out, here's all the churches you can go to, and they're good. But some of them will come to us, and leaders, leaders included, and they'll say, hey, I just know that I'm going to give up my faith once I get there. There'll be nothing to ground me. That shows me one thing. One, their priorities were out of whack and told me what they were actually rooted in. But the fact that they knew, they would tell us, I know I'm not going to make it. And they would go. And they would come back and visit. And they would go. And they would come back and visit. And they would go. And they would come back and visit. And one day over coffee or a phone call, they'll say, yeah, I don't really believe in God anymore. I haven't thought about faith since I left. It's terribly sad. It's heartbreaking to watch because we grow up with these kids. We watch them. But their faith wasn't rooted. We have to ask a question. If they knew, I'm going to give up my faith if I go to that school far away because I'm going to give up my community, I'm going to give up my church, and I'm going to have no one to help me. Why did they go? Because the minor became the major. I always ask the question, why did you go? I'm not against college. I'm not against careers. I have one. I went. But I'm against making your faith the secondary rather than the primary. Because faith became the major, or faith became the minor, and college career became the major. So now I'm saying, I'm not, please hear me, I'm not saying don't go to college. But if you know your faith is going to be impacted by the decision, then maybe we need to come up with a different plan for schooling or a different plan for the career. See, Scripture says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? I'm going to read it again because I like it so much. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything, is anything in all creation worth more than your soul? So how about when it comes to a job, this job or that job? I am called to provide for my family. I know that's in there somewhere. To take care of them. So obviously it must come down to which job makes the most money, right? Maybe. Well, what will that be in the rest of your life? Will it be that you're so busy providing for your family that you'll miss being present with them? That mom or dad, we had all these great things. We could go on any vacation. We could, we could buy any PlayStation or Xbox. We could go to any school function. We could have all the nice clothes. But I never saw you. Which one do you think they would have chose? Just because it makes more money, does it automatically make it the best decision? Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. That we as adults model for the next generation what following Jesus looks like. That we are active participants and the main disciplers of our children. For our work, we don't sacrifice our faith. We gather together. Let me tell you, I'm learning this with a one-year-old man. Whew. Kids pick up more from what they see than what we say. And my kid mimics a lot. 
But you know what's really cool? What I love, and I didn't do this, so I can't even take the credit. My wife will read to him from the Bible every night, and my wife will pray with him. And now if you just say the word pray, his hands automatically go together. Because he watched it. Kids will pick up what we're doing. How many times I've seen people go, hey, my kid just doesn't want to go to youth group. What, what can we do about this? Well, do you go to church? Or are you part of a small group? I don't have time. Well, then why do you expect them to go? How do we model it with our jobs and career? If our, if our kids or those who are behind us say, like, hey, what's the most priority in their life? Do you think they're going to say our faith or our career? Our faith or our social group? Kids pick up more from what they see. Are we living it out? Maybe like, hey, psh, I don't have kids. Even better. You'd be surprised at how many kids even in this room are watching what we do with our faith and our decisions. Should I talk to that person about how they, what they said really bothered me, or should I just gossip behind their back? That's an easy one, right? We, of course we gossip. No. We, we, we go to them, right? Matthew 18 lays out for us how to deal with conflict when it arises. The Bible actually tells us how to deal with difficult people. Did you know that? Are my words loving? Do they reflect my faith? When I see that person I'm in conflict with, do I see them the way God sees them and loves them and cares for them and is hoping they turn to him? Should we move? Sure. Why are you moving? To get away from conflict? A lot of people move to get away from conflict or to go towards something. Should I leave my marriage? Should I get married? The Bible isn't going to make all the answers for us but it's providing a framework of God's character for us to seek after and imitate and trust in. It's going to tell you. Some things are very, very clear. And some things we figure out in messy life. So upon decision-making, any decision, we have to look at how Scripture frames it. In some sense, it's very clear and cut and dry. And I don't have to make a choice of if I should or shouldn't cheat on my wife. It's clear. Don't. It's clear on the type of person I should marry, too. It's clear on how I should love God. It's clear on how I should love others. Whatever the decision is in front of you, are you looking at it through the eyes of Scripture? Or are you making, are you, are you making your faith and the kingdom of heaven and Jesus the major? Or are you making the things of earth the major? Because we have a tendency to make all these things on earth the important things. The college, the career, the money, the conflicts. But what if we made Jesus, and what if we made seeking the kingdom first, the major thing in our lives? Let me tell you this, and this is a promise. If you make Jesus and seeking the kingdom the most important thing in your life, the major priority, you will never have to worry about if you made the wrong decision. That's a guarantee. You can take that one to the bank. It's free. If you make Jesus the center of your life, you'll never have to worry if you made the wrong decision. In career path, in living, in spending or saving money, if we keep our eyes on Jesus and look to what he has for us, the rest will naturally follow. Because it will be in our hearts. So if I, if I get that word of knowledge for someone, or that gut feeling towards something, is it making me depend on God? Is it helping my faith? Will I love God and love people more? Anxiety, like we said, is at an all-time high, and decisions are everywhere. Yet Jesus says we never have to worry. Why? Why do we never have to worry? 
Because if we keep him the focus, the rest will follow. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 6. This is why I tell you not to worry. Right? There's the promise. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow is going to bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. We have to be people who make decisions based off of faith, not fear. The world, unbelievers, are the ones who need to be scared because they have nothing guiding them. It's based off feeling. It's based off own thought and desire. But we are, we're guided by this indwelling Holy Spirit who loves us and promises he'll always be with us. You don't have to worry. As long as you're putting him in the center of your life, you'll never make a bad decision. Are you loving God and loving people more? And here's another question. What if each choice honors God? What if that job keeps God at the center? Each school will help my faith. What if the career will benefit my life and those around me? And the answer is go for it. God will bless either one as long as you're keeping him the center. You cannot make a bad choice because God will bless all things that are about loving him and loving people more. So as long as you're loving God and loving others, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. See how much that will lift our anxiety? I can put my head on the pillow tonight going, whatever decisions I made today, when I base them off of Scripture, and I base them off who God is, it's going to work out. Because he cares about me a lot more than he cares about birds. It'll work out. As long as you're obeying the Lord, you will always be okay. That's not saying you ain't going to suffer. But you'll be okay. It's when we take our, li- our life into our own hands that we are at risk. Because that's, when, that's what sin is. Taking life into our own hands. If you're making a decision and it's leading you into disobedience rather than obedience, it's not the right decision. We show our love for God in our obedience and in our love for one another. So last week, Pastor Jimmy mentioned that the church was looking at property. And in one of our elder meetings, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And a lot of times we're like, is this the right decision the wrong decision? The right decision the wrong decision? Is obedient to God or disobedient with our money? Is obedient to what he wants us to do for the church or disobedient for what he wants us to do with the church? And one of our elders in our meetings, as we were discussing the building, and we were deciding if we want to even look for a building to expand what we're already doing in the life of the church, not a Sunday morning, but in the life of what we do Monday through Saturday, one of our elders said, when asked, what do you think about this? He said, Ah, I just want to make sure we're doing this for the glory of God and not our own. 
That's how you make a decision. We looked at scripture, we prayed, we sought the Lord, and we asked, does this help us to love God? Does it help us to love people more? The answer, of course, was a resounding yes. Not about building the name of Crossbridge, but expanding the kingdom of God. And what we, do with our, with, what we do with this building is to continue to teach people the love of God and give them a place to experience the love of God while we are taking care of those who are in need, which Scripture tells us to do. While telling people the gospel, which Scripture tells us to do. While loving others well, which Scripture tells us to do. This is the character of God and the direction we need to walk in. When making decisions... You do not have to be gripped with anxiety. But as long as we seek the glory of the Lord, we will be okay. So I told you, I never read a Bible verse that said, we'll go to Crossbridge. It wasn't in there. But I know that he's given me a gift of teaching. And he has told me, through scripture, to make disciples and teach them all he has commanded us. He told me to love him. He told me to love one another. So making the decision to come here was going to be blessed by God, because it's in alignment with his will and who he is. So even if there are days when I don't feel like preaching, I know I'm meant to. When there are days I feel anxious on whether I should speak or not, I do it because I know it's what God has for me. Even this morning, I wasn't supposed to do worship. Our worship leader, Ryan, we know and love him. He, he was sick. He texted me at 3 a.m. I didn't see it till 6. I jumped up and said, Sharon! Everything's wrong. But I know I love to sing. That didn't feel like work to me. It felt like loving my Savior with those who I love. I didn't have to feel anxious about it because I know it's for God's glory and he's going to bless it. Amen? We can't base everything solely on feeling. We can't base everything solely on signs. We have to test everything with Scripture. And if that door closes... And on the other side of that door is the decision to love God and love people more. Tear down the door. If you don't get into that school or get that job, keep trying. Keep pursuing. If you're supposed to do something and you know you're supposed to do something, keep going and trust God. Seek the kingdom and the rest will follow. So let us lean on scripture to guide our path. Not lean too far to the left or too far to the right, but stay obedient in all he has commanded us. And for those of us who are parents or grandparents, as we are raising those who come after us, raising our kids and our students, may we make decisions that reflect faith-based choices, not fear-based ones. That we teach them from their childhood the holy scriptures. Just like Paul reminded Timothy about his own upbringing. You knew this from your childhood about the holy scriptures and that they say that Jesus is true. So may we make sure that we are investing in students and children, teaching them the majors and not making them focus on the minors. But trust that God's word is true. And if they pursue the kingdom, the rest will be added to them. If we truly want a less anxious generation, we need to teach them about the one who's called the prince of what? The prince of peace. Anxiety, that's world stuff. Peace? Now that's Jesus stuff. So next time you're at Applebee's, and you're gripped with the burger, the chicken, or maybe even the quesadilla. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It's whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We can do everything for the glory of God. We just got to keep him 
the focus. Keep him the major. And I love that we get to, every week, reshift our focus on what's the major through the act of communion. Right? In communion, we remember what? That God, Jesus, sacrificed himself, took on our sin on the cross so that we could have relationship with him and then he rose again to prove that. A lot of us in this room right now are gripped with that anxious decision we have to make. Trust in God, the rest will follow. And he proves that he's worthy of trust and he's worthy of our faith by his act of submission on the cross. But for some of us, we're going to live in that anxiety because we haven't made the decision to know the Prince of Peace. Let me tell you today, your anxiety can be lifted because you can follow a prince that brings real peace. So if today you're feeling like, hey man, I, I'm gripped with those decisions, but I'm not seeking the kingdom first, I want to pray with you. You can come find me um, at our prayer section over there. Or grab the friend who brought you to church today or that family member or whoever. Just grab someone who loves Jesus. <laughs> Ask them, how do I seek the kingdom first? But for those of us who have, that we put our faith in Jesus and we want to seek that kingdom first, let this be a moment where we remember what Christ has done for us, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was spilled for us, that we can know him and we can experience true peace. Will you stand with me as we pray? So we'll pray. You guys can get your elements and then bring them back to your seat and we'll take communion together, okay? Lord, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are our prince of peace and that you gave your life for us that we might live, but then that you rose again to prove our salvation and your love and mercy. As we take communion, as we bring it back to our seats, may we remember what you did for us on the cross. And may this be a holy moment where we remember this is the major and we're going to put in this decision right now where you're seeking the kingdom first. And even if my priorities have been out of whack as I take this communion, as I take this body and I take this cup, may I remember you are the major and the rest will follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.